the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. They were partaking of the Lord's Supper as well as partaking of heathen worship. Paul said you can't do that. Now, what does this mean to us in our in our modern world? Where does this impact us? Here are several ways that this impacts us. This means that if you are a Christian who is uh, attending a liberal church where the gospel is not preached, where unbelievers are active in ministry, perhaps even the pastor is an unbeliever. Perhaps the pastor is a believer, but the rest of the board is an unbel- are unbelievers, or it's made up of unbelievers, or, or unbelievers kind of run things and they minister and they're involved. They're not just attending. If that's the case, according to this passage, you need to remove yourself from there. As we saw in our last class, Scripture clearly directs us to spend time with and invest in those who are lost. But when it comes to those who falsely claim to be the church, well, that's a completely different situation. When unbelievers are in control of a congregation, the people of that congregation are in extreme danger. It's worse than being aboard a ship with a drunken captain. We need to get off that ship and get on board one that will take us safely to our destination. Welcome to Verse by Verse, a Bible class of the air led by pastor-teacher Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're studying a challenging piece of Scripture as we dig into 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And we're just getting started. If you just joined us, I'll tell you later how you can catch up. In this text, the Apostle Paul told the Corinthian church not to be bound together with unbelievers. Now, we usually understand that to mean that we are not to marry unbelievers. And that is one application, and is a good one, too. But Paul had a broader application in mind. Some people have broadened it beyond Paul's intent, though, and taken it to mean that we are not to associate at all with unbelievers. But that interpretation requires lifting it out of its local context as well as ignoring God's instructions to reach out to the lost. So, what kind of binding relationship is it that Paul wants us to avoid? In our last session, we saw some things that Paul did not mean. If Paul didn't mean to avoid working with unbelievers or spending our leisure time with them, what did he mean? Today, we'll begin to consider the right way to understand this text. Let's think about it in the overall context of God's Word now, and we'll see that it's really pretty simple. Here's Pastor Steve with our lesson. But there's another question we need to ask, and it's this. What type of binding relationship are you referring to, Paul? What, what are you referring to? Does this mean you can only use a Christian doctor? Does it mean if you're looking for a Christian realtor or a realtor, you have to go to a Christian? Does it mean that if you need a, an attorney, you must go to a believing attorney? Does this mean that, that you can't play uh, softball with unbelievers, can can't bowl with unbelievers, can't do any kind of sporting event with unbelievers? Does it mean that if you have stocks, you can't have mutual funds because you might have it with unbelievers? Now, that hit a nerve, didn't it? The early service, that didn't hit a nerve. 
But that's a valid question. What is Paul referring to? How far do you take this? And I think the best way to approach this, to, to answer this from Scripture, is to, by a process of elimination, see what Paul does not mean. What does he not mean by teaching us to separate from unbelievers? And I guess the best place to begin is go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is a very, very uh, important passage of Scripture and one that gives light to what we're dealing with today. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, notice verse 9. He writes to them, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. Now, you should know that before 1 Corinthians, there was another letter, and this is what he's referring to. He wrote another letter to the Corinthians. We don't have that letter. God in his sovereign providence kept it out of the canon of Scripture. It's lost. We don't have it. We don't know uh, exactly what he said, but we do know one thing he said. We don't know all, but we know that he wrote to them in that previous letter and said, don't associate with immoral people. And they may have misunderstood that because he clarifies it here. He said I, in verse 10, I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you'd have to go out of the world. What Paul is saying is, you, you, I don't think you understood what I meant. I meant that if there's a, a brother or a sister in your church assembly who's acting in an immoral way, you have to approach them in discipline. If they don't repent, you have to discipline them. That's who I'm referring to. You don't have fellowship with, with someone who claims to know Christ but won't repent of immorality or any of these other sins that he's talking about. He said, I, I don't mean the world. If that was the case, you'd have to get out of the world. I don't mean unbelievers. Folks, we expect that from unbelievers. You find a moral unbeliever, put them in a cage. They are unique. They're rare. He's not talking about that. He's not, the Bible does not teach a monastic kind of life. And in the Middle Ages, that's how this was interpreted. That's what they thought about separation. Just go off in some, some wilderness place and, and don't have any kind of social contact with anyone else. That's not what the Bible teaches. Paul said if you were to do that, you have to get out of this world. We're supposed to be in the world. He says in verse 11, but actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is immoral or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. You don't have any kind of spiritual fellowship. And of course, eating was not just a meal then, there was a spiritual fellowship. It probably means having the Lord's Supper with them. Verse 12, for what do I have to do with judging outsiders? He means those outside the church, those who are unbelievers. Paul said, that that's not my business. I don't have anything to do with, with them in the sense of telling them how to live. Do you not judge those who are within the church? Sure, you discipline those in the church, but not outside the church. But those who are outside, God judges. God will deal with them. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. He's talking about a specific incident there in which a, a man was having immoral relations with someone who was his stepmother. He said, that's the one you got to deal with. But, but I'm not talking about that you separate yourselves from, from unbelievers. Listen, we are to be with unbelievers. You don't want to twist this Scripture is to mean that Paul is teaching us not to be have any relationship with unbelievers. Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer of John 17, verse 15, he said, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Father, he said, I want you to keep these here, my, my followers here in the world. Don't take them out of the world. Just protect them from, from Satan. And that's how Jesus lived. You know, one of the greatest compliments Jesus ever got was the Pharisees said that he, uh, he was accused of being a friend of sinners. 
a glutton and a drunkard. Now, he wasn't a glutton. He wasn't a drunkard, but they associated him with that. Why? Because he spent time with, with people who were unsaved. How are you going to try to build a relationship to lead them to Christ if you don't have social interaction with them? Paul himself spent much time with non-Christians and had plenty of social interaction. Look, look at that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is, this is the point of this passage. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 19, he says, Though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I might win more. And then he explains, to the Jews, I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. What Paul is saying is when Christ saved me, I was free from the law. I don't have to keep a kosher home anymore. I don't have to do those things that the ceremonial laws said. But if I'm going to be with some Jewish people, I'm not ordering sweet and sour pork. And that's what he's really saying. I'm not doing that. Do I have the freedom to do it? Sure. I give up my right to do that for the sake of evangelism. I'm free. But it indicates that Paul was with Jewish unsaved people. And more, he was with Gentiles. He says, verse 21, to those who are without law, that would mean the Gentiles, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Paul said, I'm, I'm under God's law. I'm under the law of Christ so that I might win those who are without law. He interacted with Gentiles. We never compromised the truths of scripture. He said, to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men so that I might by all means save some. And he concluded this section. He said, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Paul said, I want to lead some people to Christ. And that means I've got to be with them and I've got to interact and I've got to socialize and I've got to refrain from certain things that I have the liberty to do, but I'm doing it for the sake of Christ. Certainly the Bible teaches that we ought to we ought to be in the world, but we are not of the world. And Paul, by the way, acknowledged that it was totally appropriate for believers to get together in social settings with non-Christians. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and in verse 27, he paints this scenario. He says, if one of the unbelievers invites you, meaning invites you to, your, to their home for a meal, and you want to go, eat anything that's set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. Hey, if an unbeliever invites you to their home, he's saying in this culture, in this setting, and they put some food before you, don't say, by the way, was this sacrifice to an idol? I don't know whether I should eat or not. Paul said, just don't ask any questions, just eat. But he said, if they invite you to their home, then go. It's appropriate. It's right. We ought to be doing that. In fact, we ought to be doing more of that. We ought to be uh, involved in the lives of non-Christians. How are you going to have a relationship with them? Don't isolate yourself from the unsaved community. We are to be out there. You say, well, that's not, I'm not very comfortable with some of the language they use. Well, that's all right. That's all right. Jesus heard stuff too. It's not going not gonna to desanctify you. It's all right. Don't use that stuff. But that's all right. We're not called to be comfortable. We're called to be obedient. And I might add to this that in, in light of what we're looking at and eliminating what Paul doesn't mean by being unequally yoked. He does not teach that a Christian husband or a Christian wife uh, is to divorce or separate their, from, from a non-Christian spouse simply because they've become a believer. That is to say that you, you come to faith in Christ now and you realize, but my wife or my husband is not a believer. Therefore, if I'm to be unequally, uh, if I'm not to be bound with unbelievers, I got to get rid of them. That's not what the Bible teaches. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 
And I'm assuming Paul wrote this to them because they had a problem with this. In fact, I know they had a problem with this because back in uh, the early part of this chapter, he talks about believers not having sexual relations with their spouse. And so they must have said, hey, that's, a, that's, a, uh, that's such an intimate thing, and I don't want to be with an unbeliever, so I can't. And so Paul has to order them. Can you imagine ordering them to have ongoing sexual relations? So they must have had a, a distorted, twisted uh, view of this. But Paul writes in verse 12 of, of chapter 7, but to the rest I say, not the Lord. And he doesn't mean by this that this is uninspired writing. What he means by this is that Jesus in his ministry never addressed this particular concern, but he is. To the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, she agrees to live with you, he must not divorce her. If she wants to live with you, then you continue. You don't initiate a divorce because you can't be bound with an unbeliever. That's not what he's teaching. He teaches that you, you continue. If she says to you, I didn't bargain for this when I married you, I don't care about your Christianity, I don't like the way you've become, and she initiates a divorce, then that happens. But you don't initiate it. Verse 13 speaks of the same situation, but with a uh, Christian wife. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband, and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. The Bible does not teach in any way that we should be isolated from non-Christians, even if we're married to them. Otherwise, I said we can never interact with them. So it is fine to have non-Christians as friends. It is fine to have non-Christians as colleagues at work. You don't have to work just in an all-Christian environment. It is fine to participate in sporting events and school activities with non-Christians. In fact, I think the Bible encourages that. It's wonderful to have social outings with non-Christians. It is perfectly acceptable to share many things with non-Christians. More of us, as I said, should be involved in that. But what Paul is forbidding us from sharing with unbelievers is a religious, spiritual, common endeavor or enterprise. That is what he's talking about in chapter 6, verse 14. You can do anything you want with non-Christians except form a common spiritual partnership, which means you can't come together for mutual worship, church setting, can't come together and share a, a teaching situation, a ministry opportunity, an evangelism endeavor. You can't do that. That's what he's talking about. Now, how... How do we know that? Well, we've eliminated what he couldn't be talking about from 1 Corinthians, but the reason we know this is exactly what he's talking about is this is the type of relationship the Corinthians were having and forming and had formed with unbelievers who had stolen their hearts from Paul and the truth. They had bound themselves with these false teachers and the Gentile idolaters in a religious alliance. They still were practicing that stuff. You see, the Corinthians were still involved with joining their pagan friends in idolatrous heathen worship. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. You know what he's saying? Some of you are going up to the temple, worship, and having sexual relations with prostitutes. One just a sexual thing. It was a heathen, idolatrous type of deal. He said, how could that be? May it never be. 
Verse 16, or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. How could it be that someone who knows Christ not only is practicing sexual immorality, but involved in heathen worship, you are joining yourself to heathenism. And once again, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20, we already looked at this, we'll take it a step further. No, he says, but I say in verse 20, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to, to God. And I don't want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. They were partaking of the Lord's supper as well as partaking of heathen worship. Paul said, you can't do that. You can't, you can't blend it. You can't uh, link up like that. It's, it's not the thing to do. You're forbidden to do that. See, the entire teaching of Paul concerning separation from unbelievers has to do with Christians not forming any kind of partnership with non-Christians in a common spiritual enterprise or relationship. In other words, his point is this. Christians are not to get together with non-Christians, as I said, for joint worship, evangelism, teaching, or any form of ministry. That's the whole point of the passage, to tell us that we're forbidden to join unbelievers in any type of cooperative religious effort. Now, what does this mean to us in our, in our modern world? Where does this impact us? Here are several ways that this impacts us. This means that if you are a Christian who is uh, attending a liberal church where the gospel is not preached, where unbelievers are active in ministry, perhaps even the pastor is an unbeliever. Perhaps the pastor is a believer, but the rest of the board is an unbel are unbelievers, or it's made up of unbelievers, or, or unbelievers kind of run things, and they minister, and they're involved. They're not just attending. If that's the case, according to this passage, you need to remove yourself from there. You would be forming a religious alliance. One of my roommates at Bible College is a great, great guy. And uh, he really had come to Christ, but he had uh, been saved while he was attending, in fact, a member of a uh, liberal church in the Northeast. I think it was the Philadelphia area. And you know what? He never removed his name from membership. That was his church. And when I asked him why, he said, because I want to be a light there. I want to I lead them to Christ. Well, that's a, a, nice, a nice motive, a nice thought, but that's wrong. That's wrong. You know, if you lead anyone to Christ, it's only going to be by God's grace, but you're, you're really going against Scripture. You shouldn't be a part of a church like that. I don't know if he ever removed his, uh, his name from there, but there are many like that. There are many who, who attend are part of churches that have rejected the gospel. They reject the gospel of salvation through the death of Christ alone, and you ought to come out of a church like that. You shouldn't be a part of that. Now let's take it a little bit deeper, and we're going to touch some nerves here. It also means that no born-again Christian should remain in the Roman Catholic Church because that is, by their own words, a false religious system. Now, they don't call themselves a false religious system, but by their counsels and by what they have taught over the years, they have definitely spoken out against the gospel of grace. The Council of Trent, which was met in, in uh, response to the Reformation, very clearly said anyone who claims that salvation is through the finished work of Christ alone, and it's only by faith alone, is anathema. So now, they have never changed that. That is what they believe. They teach a gospel of faith plus works, which is always works. Always works. 
Now, do they have some truth in it? Yes, but, but the issue is they reject the gospel message. Therefore, there, there are some believers in the Roman Catholic Church. They are there in spite of the message that they're hearing. They ought to come out. They ought to come out of that. We have, we have many in our own church here at Lakeside who have seen that and have come out of that. It is a false religious system, and Paul commands us to separate ourselves from worshiping with unbelievers in a pagan system. And basically, that is a pagan system. Let's take it a step further. It also means that you should not participate in any evangelistic crusade that invites liberals to participate in it. Now, several years ago, and, and this, is, uh, this would be an appropriate time to clarify this, uh, we as a church, our elders decided that when Billy Graham came to Tampa for a crusade, we would and could not participate in, as a church body, officially participate in that crusade. Is it because he doesn't preach the gospel? No, I think he does preach the gospel. Is it because people don't get saved there? No, people, I think, really do get saved there. I've, I have never heard Billy Graham in a, a crusade setting uh, preach anything but the gospel. I have heard things in, in private settings on television, which he has not, but I have heard uh, only in a crusade setting the gospel. But why couldn't we participate? And by the way, when we said we couldn't participate, uh, we never meant by that that individuals couldn't attend there. Uh, you sir, We're not a cult. We don't dictate to people what they do or don't do, unless scripture clearly forbids things. But as far as identifying, participating, we could not. And I'll tell you why. It is common knowledge. That this is not even a guess. This is common knowledge that they readily admit that the crusade invites, the Billy Graham Association invites liberal theologians as well as non-Christian leaders to sit on the platform with Mr. Graham and participate in the crusade. And non, quite frankly, non-Christian Christ-rejecting churches are part of it too. They don't just attend. They're a part of the inviting committee and, and planning and all of that. For us then to, to have participated as a church would be really to, to violate the scripture and to form a religious alliance with these religious unbelievers. That's why we couldn't do that. That's why we couldn't do that. And I realized, and I had, I had people who, uh, they wrote me, and they came to see me, and I remember one who, who with tears in her eyes, said, how could we not do this? People are saved. But see, the end doesn't justify the means. The end does not justify the means. The truth is the truth. And we can't alter that. I know that for some of us, that sounds pretty extreme. But then, so is God's hatred of sin, and especially false teaching in the church. In fact, in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus, after commending the church in Pergamum, gave them a very stern warning about having some people in their church who were holding to sinful teachings. Jesus wants his bride, the church, to be pure, even more than any man born wants his bride to be pure. Not only is it best for us, Jesus deserves it. Pastor Steve Kreloff will have more on spiritual separation on our next Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Call 727-441-1714 to find out more about Lakeside or go online to lakesidechapel.com. That's lakesidechapel.com or 727-441-1714. I mentioned at the beginning of today's program that we're just getting started with this series of spiritual separation. Today was the second lesson in this series. If you'd like to go back and catch up, all our broadcasts are available for free streaming or download at firstbyverseradio.org. 
That's on the Message Archive page. And if you'd like to help support Verse by Verse, we appreciate your generosity. It's easy to give online at our website on the giving page, or you can give over the phone by calling Lakeside at 727-441-1714. Our web address again is versebyverseradio.org. Let me take a minute to tell you about an opportunity for our visually impaired listeners. This is a ministry Pastor Steve cares about a great deal. If you have a digital talking book player from the Library Service for the Blind and would like to have a free audio Bible for your player, here's the number to call, 800-838-5924. That's 800-838-5924. Or you can go online to www.blindbibles.com. This is Jerry Peterson. I realize that for some of us, what Pastor Steve has been teaching may sound a little narrow-minded, or maybe even extreme. But we can see in this passage that God commands us to be separate. In fact, the word church comes from the Greek ecclesia, which means called out ones. I hope you can join us for the next verse by verse as Pastor Steve Kreloff concludes this first message in his series on spiritual separation with some reasons why this is an important subject. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.